Hey, nerds, really cool announcement before we get started. As you heard last week, we had an anonymous donor contact us, and they are donating $500 to our local Legend Comics and coffee comic book store to help them through this COVID-19 crap that we're all suffering through. They have also offered to match your donations to your local comic book store, be it Legend or wherever you are. All you need to do is send us a PayPal receipt that shows you made the donation so we can check that the comic shop is real and they will match another $500. They're doing this all for the month of May. So give until it hurts, and let's save our local comic book shops. You can send your receipts to twoheadednerd at gmail.com with the subject, LCS Donation. This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and supporting listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter today. Ha-cha! Broadcasting from the quarantine ziggurat at Omaha and it's going to stay quarantined even if they tell us we can open it back up because we're not ready to do so. It's irresponsible and we're sticking with the science here, folks. Do not listen to politicians. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, but they have such a firm grasp on things like outer space and evolution and science. <laughs> I mean, come on. My name is Matt Baum, and it is my pleasure to welcome you to episode 571 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. And I am the Internet's Joe Patrick. This week, we are continuing our romp through comics history with special spotlight reviews on eight different comics starring robots. From across the comic time stream Because we don't need no new comics No, we were talking about it We are actually a little bummed that they might be coming back So, (laughs) Not till the end of May After that, it is up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum Where we're going to tell you all about what we're reading next week So you can read along at home And finally, the lovely Mrs. Casey Baum Stops by to discuss part one of our chronological viewing of all 23 Marvel movies minus The Incredible Hulk because she wouldn't watch it. So 22. Why but, not? I don't know. She was like, I don't want to watch it. And I'm like, come on. I'm like, so what? We watch one shitty one. Or maybe it's not even as shitty as we no, remember. No, it's fine. But before, no, it's not fine. But it before fine. we become the first to sell out humanity and welcome our new robot masters, let's share our all too human reactions to this week's Nerd News. Nerd News. This weekend, 20 comic artists, including John Romita Jr., Sean Gordon Murphy, Linnell Francis Yu, a lot of middle names there, and Patrick Gleason are taking part in a comic convention style event that you can visit from home. It's called Comic Conline. Oh, I get it. Yeah. Oh, it's online. Comic-Con line is scheduled to run May 1st through May 3rd, aiming to approximate, quote, the creator experience that you might get from seeing them at a convention. Each artist will have an hour time slot, live sketching while answering questions, and some will even be taking commissions during the event. That's uh, awesome. The guest, the guest list includes other THN favorites like Mirka Andolfo, uh, Yada 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 yada. John Boy Myers, 
a bunch of names that I don't recognize. I think this is a very cool idea. A uh, friend of the show, Jeremy Hahn, did something very similar last weekend. Uh, it was called HahnCon, uh, <laughs> where he had some, <laughs> he did like some live chats with some other comic pros. Uh, and uh, I just think that this is such a cool thing for pros yeah. to do for fans. This is awesome. And it, it's so easy to set up, too. This is really cool. Do we know who came up with it? Whose idea this is? Uh, you know what? I don't, uh, huh. I don't know whose idea, I don't know who originated the idea, uh, but they do have a Facebook page for the event, which, uh, we will link to in the show notes. If you're interested in attending, uh, they had a schedule online for like what time and, and, uh, and day that each creator was going to take place. And like, I'm totally on board for watching like John Romita Jr. do sketches. Is this <laughs> and all? On, it's all on Facebook Live, basically. Uh, I believe it is on Facebook Live. Okay, very cool. Uh, super excited. Yeah, this is awesome. I should be over my Hong Kong crud by the time this comes around <laughs> and ready to do it again. So yeah, this this is awesome, and I'm excited for it. Yeah, I mean, really, the good thing about a virtual Comic Con is that you do not bring home any communicable diseases. That is not necessarily true, unless you're okay? trying really hard. There are ways. <laughs> From the, we have to dust off the new comics desk here, but there's some new comics news, Joe Patrick. I know. Aftershocks Comics is launching a unique new series this fall, melding the classic fictional tropes of a money heist with giant monsters. The Kaiju Score, the Kaiju Score by writer James Patrick and Rem Brew, who I assume is named after like smart little brood kid that wears the glasses and hangs out with the X-Men, right? Yeah, Brew. Yeah, <laughs> cuts a unique path through these two arenas into an original story that is surprisingly personal. They go on to describe it as a Quentin Tarantino film taking place in the same corner as a Godzilla movie, which I think is fucking brilliant <laughs> and probably what they should have done with the last Godzilla movie because somehow they got that many giant monsters into a movie and it was boring. <laughs> so, so like, well, while there's a giant kaiju attack at some uh, at some location, there's like some Ocean's Eleven shit going down. Totally. I mean, what talk about perfect cover. I mean, come I on. There's giant monsters attacking. I love this. I think it's a great idea. Oh, yeah. It sounds it's rad. Here's a solicitation for the first issue. It's scheduled for release on November 25th. It's the most dangerous heist ever attempted. Four desperate criminals are going all in on a once-in-a-lifetime chance to steal millions in art and turn their miserable lives around. The catch? They have to pull it off under the nose of a 1,000-ton kaiju. And That's a giant monster might just be the least of their problems. That is so oh. many tons. That's a lot of tons. This is brought to you by James Patrick. No relation to Joe Patrick is what I'm saying. Oh, no relation that, to Joe Patrick. I thought joke. you were making a grim fairy tale. You know, you know my joke. name. We have been friends yeah. for two I decades. understand. I think I remember your name. Right. Death Comes to Dillinger and the Monsters of Jimmy Crumb. I, the only one of those names that I recognize is Grim Fairy Tales. Uh, I remember Death Comes to Dillinger. I'm not going to bash anything, but I will say it doesn't fill me full of joy and optimism. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, Rim Brew drew the end times of Bram and Ben, which is a comic book that we read one issue of, and I have not thought about since. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, again, these two creators are kind of unknowns to us, but I think the idea is super solid. It sounds great. Yeah. And the, everybody gets their start somewhere. We're not going to bash anybody for working on no, Grim Fairy Tales. No, not at all. I just 
more often than not, we end up making fun of Zine Scope. So it's true. Uh, I think this is a great idea. Uh, I, I, frankly, uh, I'm surprised that no one's done it yet. And uh, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to checking this out if and when real life resumes. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And when it spins into like a kung fu ER drama set in a giant monster attack, it'll get even better. Yes, definitely. definitely. <laughs> From the hashtag desk, the folks behind the creators for comics hashtag have announced that the charity campaign has raised $433,166 so far for U.S. comic shops in five days. Five days. Uh, the campaign organized and auctioned off various original arts, services, experiences, and more from comic creators. Uh, kind of like the uh, kind of like the uh, uh, Hong Kong stuff. You know, uh, when they say experiences, they mean like live chats with creators and such. Uh, with the winning bidders donating directly to uh, Bink, the Book Industry Charitable Foundation, which has been organized as a fund for U.S. comic book retailers. I can't hear you say the word bank and not laugh. I don't know why. I mean, it's pretty not that funny of a word. <laughs> I, I don't know why they are using that acronym, but it is what it is. Uh, writer Cami Garcia is one of the organizers of Creators for Comics, and they say uh, comic shops and any bookstores have supported so many of us. They aren't just places where we buy books and comics. These stores are places where we find belonging. I cannot agree more. Uh, other organizers for the uh, uh, campaign include Brian Michael Bendis, uh, Gwen DeBond, Sam Humphreys, and Phil Jimenez. The <sighs> Just a bunch this of menches all around. It's so cool. And I, here's the thing. This is not on these creators to do this. It's not at all. No. These creators are, there's a few names in there that obviously have done well for themselves. Frank Miller, Neil Gaiman, Patton Oswalt, you know, I mean, and Brian Michael Bendis. They've got some money they can throw around and that's great that they're helping out. What gets me is this is not their job. They do their job making these creations and giving us the comics. Yeah. Marvel and DC should be doing this job. They should be spearheading this. The fact yeah. that these guys are doing it, it's fucking awesome. I well, love yeah, and it. If Thank you. Wanna you. Be, if you want to be cynical, if you want to look at the uh, the Jim Lee 60-day sketch drive in a cynical light saying, well, yeah, he's a publisher of DC Comics, of course. I'm, I'm got not. To, I'm he's not got, by any means. No, I am not either. But, like, if you wanted to spin it that way, you could say, like, well, yeah, of course Jim Lee's got to do something. Uh, these guys, like, they're just doing this on their own time. Yeah. No, I'm saying that Marvel Entertainment and Warner Brothers should be doing this and should be doing twice as much because without these comic shops, they don't have the fandom that fuels the movies they make all their money right, well, we, And they need to remember that shit. We don't need to like spin every positive news story into something negative, man. This is I'm the all done. this is the all good news edition of the big news this week. I'm gonna keep pushing this. I'm sick of the billionaires complaining that the economy is crashing while the little guys are stepping up to actually help people. Nobody that amazing. runs DC is a billionaire, man. <laughs> people that run W the WB are without a doubt those people see dc as a line item on a budget that's exactly why they're not doing anything to help and it makes me sick uh but like the names involved are super impressive you already mentioned frank miller neil gaiman uh but kelly sudaconic mike mignola brad Meltzer, uh g willow wilson brian lee o'malley like these are people yeah. uh these are people that like 
you don't really, uh, these are some people rather that you don't see a ton of, uh, like in the, in the, in the case of like Brian Lee O'Malley, he doesn't really do a ton. You know what I'm saying? He's yeah. not out there in the news a lot these days. Yeah, um, definitely. But then you've got huge celebrities like Damon Lindelof, uh, Robert Kirkman and Seth Meyers who are matching huge donations for some of these items like yeah. people are really stepping up and it's such a heartwarming thing it's kick-ass i and just wish I just, that the corporations would do so too oh instead my of begging god shut up i get it tell me i'm wrong you're not wrong but like no. dc donated a quarter of a million dollars it's yes. it's a huge amount of money it could should be more and warner brothers should be backing it that's all i'm saying that is your nerd news for the week. I'm sure we missed plenty of other stories while waiting in digital line to get our Rob Leafield troll sketches. So hit us up on the THN forums in the big news section, or you can hit us up on any of our social media outlets. All of them. We're all over the damn place. And talk to us about these stories. Anything else that you guys think we missed? Speak for yourself. I ask for Blood Wolf. Ah, Blood Wolf. Who is Blood Wolf? Uh, oh yeah! I remember, no, all of a sudden, I just saw the cover just appeared in my head. <laughs> w like w U L F. Yeah, Blood Wolf. he had the Wolverine hair instead of the costume. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they all had Wolverine hair. Let's be honest. It is spotlight review time in the cigarette, and this week we dipped into our cosmic long box to review eight comics starring robots. That's robots for uh, the uninitiated. Matt. Oh, it's not a terrifying tale. Yeah. Before we get started, let's check in with the official THN bartender, Justin Fletcher, for the cocktail of the week. So, nerds, I guess today we're talking about a few different uh, things. I know, Matt, in case you're going to talk about the MCU, and uh, I've actually been doing the entire MCU myself. I've got only four left to watch, and I've watched every single one that we have. Um, so I'm going to just talk about the drinks that I've been making while watching all of these Marvel movies. Um, right now, with quarantine, every time I go to the grocery, I look for fruit, and right now there's fruit just crazy, so... Um, you can use uh, strawberries, blueberries, blackberries, uh, raspberries with this, whatever you prefer. You're going to need some basil, um, need some gin, need a little bit of sugar, and a little bit of soda water. And that is just about it. So you're going to take an ounce and a half of gin. Um, if it's blueberries, blackberries, or raspberries, you're going to need like six of those. If it's strawberries, just only two. Put those into your gin. Uh, maybe about an ounce of water in there as well. Um, let's say four teaspoons of granulated sugar and uh, maybe two two leaves of basil. Um, slap those, throw those in. Uh, grab a muddler. You're going to muddle uh, and just macerate all that fruit in with the booze. Um, throw a couple cubes. Uh, shake it up really, 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 really good. Um, pour all the contents. You're not going to strain it all. You're going to pour all the contents into a glass, top with ice, and then... Uh, whenever you're putting this this drink into, say, like a pint glass, by the time it's all said and done and you pour it out, you should be about three-quarters of the way probably up that glass um, after you've topped with ice. Then you're just going to maybe put a couple ounces of, uh, of soda, just top it off with soda, give it a nice little stir, and boom, you have the most easy movie drink I can come up with. And like I said, the cool thing about this is they change with the fruit that you use. 
and they are quite delicious. So sit down and watch a Marvel movie and enjoy. Ciao. Now with Drink in Hand, Matt, let's review some of these robot comics. Excelsior, buddy. Ching, ching. Excelsior. My first review this week is Terminator, The Burning Earth from Now Comics. It's from 1990. The issue I read was actually reprinted by Dark Horse in a trade, which I'm pretty sure is the only way you can find this story since Now Comics shut down in 2006. But let me tell you, one thing Now Comics like to do is pack all their comics full of editorials about how kick-ass their comics are. (laughs) It was great. The forward features Ron... Pardon me. The forward features writer Ron Fortier saying basically, look, I'm sorry that the first eight issues of the Terminator suck so bad. And I'm going to throw the artist directly under the bus because that guy was terrible. But good news. He's gone. I've got this new kid. His name is Alex Ross. This guy fucking rules and everything's going to be better from now on. I don't know that they knew that this was the end. <laughs> they were going to be passing the torch to Dark Horse and someone else would run with it. But hey. The art here is incredible. It is not like the polished Alex Ross of today by any means, but you can see the Alex Ross talent there. It's really solid stuff, especially for the time. I don't think anybody was painting comics like this in 1990. No. Yeah. The story follows a young John Connor. He was nicknamed Bear at the time. Well, I mean, he he was was an old John Connor. Well, this was before he had the scar on his face and he went back in time to fight T-100 and stuff. So uh, this, I thought this was set before T2. It's set before T2, but it's set in the war that happens in the future uh, after T1 and also before T2. Oh, but I, I understand. But if you're talking about young John Connor, you're talking about Eddie Furlong, not like, oh, God, the robots are here, John Connor. <laughs> but we're talking about a older John Connor. You see, you just opened the Terminator problem. We're talking about an older John Connor than Eddie Furlow, but a younger John Connor than John Connor in the first Terminator movie. Okay, all right, fine. Fun! <laughs> well, except that, like, nobody called John Connor Bear in the first Terminator movie. <laughs> no, well, not that we know of. We got very little of him. And he didn't him. have a mullet and a beard either. Well, we got very little of him in the future doing the part of the Terminator movies that we all wanted to watch. Right, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, In this story, John Connor is fighting in the war against Skynet and its robot army. You know, the story the movies never showed us and really the only Terminator story we wanted to see after the first movie. I read Now's Terminator number one before deciding to read this story and Burning Earth is a giant jump in quality. Ron Fortier was not kidding. The first Terminator issue was fucking terrible. The comic has a very indie look down to the lettering, which is really odd because the Terminator was already a massive hit. And the only reason I can think of that nobody scooped it up is maybe because the movie was rated R and comic companies weren't really licensing rated R movies yet. I'm not really certain. I know Aliens had a limited series that was at Titan, not that Titan. In 1988, I reached out to Jason Sachs to see because I don't have his 1980s comic book yet, so I couldn't really research it. Haven't heard back from him yet. Great story here, though, with really cool early painted work from Alex Ross. And yeah, the previous previous artist was terrible, but you really don't need to throw the guy under the bus. Just go, hey, we're excited to introduce a new penciler, and here's a kick-ass story. Mark 
Terminator, the Burning Earth, number one, get to buy it. It was fun. Uh, the art is very good. It's very formative, Alex Ross. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can you can definitely tell like that he was on his way to something. Yeah, um, you can see him Alex Rothing, if you will. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't think there's any like weird conspiracy as to why nobody had the rights to Terminator. It, Dark Horse was formed in the late 80s or the mid the mid 80s. Right. But now comics was also around in the mid 80s and their whole bag was doing licensed comics. I just did, think the they big did Fright two. Night, Ghostbusters, Green Hornet, Married with Children. Yeah. Mr. T the and the two T-Force. really licensing really ad- like adult stuff yet and i think that's the only reason a company like now ends up with those names oh nah i don't think that's true I-, I don't think that's true because i know that there's some weird marvel comics adaptations of some like i think there was a i think that there was a marvel comics adaptation of the 1980s horror movie house yeah, but Which House is wasn't like a straight-up horror movie either. It was yeah, weird. But, like, Matt, I'm saying you that know? you're looking for some weird explanation when there really isn't one. Companies maybe just maybe companies just snagged what they thought would sell. Maybe there is And isn't. Terminator and is a comic book about giant robots killing humans. Sure. Like, there's nothing and in this comic that was R-rated. Nothing about this was R-rated. No. I mean, and Marvel did do a Blade Runner, you know, movie adaptation. So, yeah, but yeah, that, exactly. That was also just like a direct movie adaptation. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it, it's it's a fun artifact. Uh, uh, the script is very, um, it's very heavily melodramatic, uh, oh, yeah. but it's also like, like it doesn't pull any punches, man. Uh, like characters die. Uh, the these humans are not winning this war, and it's not like this was chapter one of an of a longer story. But like things look bleak, and uh, it was kind of refreshing to see an adaptation like that where it's like, yep, uh, things are bad and humans are probably not going to win. Uh, the book is called the burning earth. I'm not sure that it's going to end with John Connor going back in time to save humanity. I think that humanity is fucked in this comic book. Well, he doesn't Um, have a scar yet. So yeah, he does. (laughs) uh, Keep talking about that fucking scar. Uh, yeah, I'm giving this a buy it. I thought it was uh, a, a lot of fun. I liked it so much I read the whole thing. I just read the trade, and it was really solid. Like, oh. good Terminator storytelling that they just cannot fucking do in the movies for some reason. I don't know. I don't get it. <laughs> just show me this movie. I'm in. <laughs> My first review is Showcase number 39 from DC Comics 1962. My first exposure to DC's Metal Men was in an issue of their Blue Ribbon Digest, which was sort of a greatest hits reprint series from the early 80s that you could buy it at. Uh, it, it was a uh, it was the sort of thing that you could find in the uh, checkout stands of grocery stores. Right. Like, like you're right, waiting in line with your digest mom. And shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like the Archie Digest and, st- and stuff were there. You'd be waiting in line with your mom and you'd be like, oh, oh mom, please buy me this comic. And th- there would be. Uh, This chapter of the Digest is what made me a lifelong fan of the Metal Men. Really? Yes. This issue introduces the team's most deadly enemy, Chemo. Some people call him Chemo. I think that's weird. Writer Robert Kaniger is a legend. He not only created Sergeant Rock and Easy Company, but he scripted the first appearance of Barry Allen in Showcase number four. Real quick. We've had this fight before. It's chemo. You don't have chemotherapy. You have 
chemotherapy. Yes, but he's not <laughs> named after chemotherapy, Matt. He's named after how the fact would, that he's full of chemicals. But that's how you would pronounce the word if it's spelled like that. No, chemo. it's chemo. Yeah. It's chemo, and calling him chemo is in poor taste. I mean, if if you're right, then it would be chemo. <laughs> no, because it's not pronounced chemicals. It's chemo. Everybody knows that. <laughs> As I was saying, uh, Bob Kaniger also scripted the first appearance of Barry Allen in Showcase Number Four, which is the comic that kicked off the Silver Age. The metalmen show up to talk to a scientist that coincidentally throws his giant hand through the roof of his laboratory at the exact sure. same moment with the hope that he will grab someone that is randomly on his roof uh, so that he can tell them about the danger of his accidental creation Chemo, who sprayed the scientist with chemicals that caused him to grow to gigantic size, then burned his way out of the side of the building seconds before the metal men's arrival without them noticing. Like, why does it have to be so fucking bizarre? Why can't you just... Why can't you just introduce the metalmen? Aren't they fucking weird enough? Okay, this, this, is, I, this is not the first appearance of the metalmen. This is the metalmen's third adventure. No, I mean, but like, just give me a metalman story and whatever. It, yeah, I, yeah. Geez, it's just, it's just, it's one contrivance after another, and it's so funny. The scientist made a giant vat to hold the discarded chemical equivalent of the fountain drink suicide. And shaped it into a man to, quote, remind him of his failures. Sure. He Why just, not? He just dumps random sure. chemicals into the vat. That's not dangerous. The yeah, you metal do with the root beer and yep. the diet Pepsi. Orange and drink. Yes. And Chemo comes out. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, the metal men are constantly yelling out the properties of the metal that they're built from. Uh, yeah. I'm liquid at room temperature, shouts a hot-headed Mercury at least three <laughs> times in this issue. <laughs> Platinum is hopelessly in love with Doc Magnus, even though she's not a real human, a fact that he reminds her of every third page. Now, I was really blown away by the incredible art of Ross Andrew, who would later go on to co-create The Punisher during his five-year run penciling The Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, Andrew's excellent facial expressions and the use of different perspectives is really impressive, especially for that era, and it gives his work a really distinct look from other artists of the Silver Age. Kaniger and Andrew's Metalman is silly. It's over-the-top, Silver Agey nonsense with phenomenal art, uh, the not-so-subtle infusion of science facts, and the fun uses of the team's shape-changing powers really captured my imagination as a kid. I still love every page of it today. I get it. It's weird as hell. Yeah. It, is, it is peak Silver Age lunacy. I'm giving Showcase 39 a buy it. The art is incredible. It, it, it truly is. Like, exceptional art. Like, that page where the, I, like, again, it's stupid. The scientist punches through his roof, hoping that somebody's up there. <laughs> but there's a panel from above showing him bringing uh, Doc Magnus and Platinum down. I'm and actually looking at it right now. It's, yeah, it's an amazing It's hand. stunning. Yeah, it's it, great. It really is. Um, I don't give a shit about the metal man. No, I have you never cared about the metal man. And reading this reminded me why I don't care about the metal man. I love it so it's much. It's just like, 
this kind of Silver Age shit just makes me shake my head. And like, what were you even thinking? <laughs> like, I love it so they? much. And and again, I have to ask, like, who is this written for? It's like, are you trying to teach kids what metal does? Because this is not a good way to do that. One and two, <laughs> you're trying to sell me on the fact that it's like, oh yeah, these robots just like took on some of like the emotional properties of metal or whatever. Like what? (laughs) What is going on? (laughs) Tin has an inferiority complex because he's weak. I hated this. (laughs) Why you would build a robot made out of tin. I do not understand. No shit. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I, it just, the art is intense. It is truly great for the time. I'm giving it a skim it for that alone. I hated the story. I hate the man. Uh, <laughs> coward. Uh, my I went, favorite, from, my, I went my, from not giving a shit about the metal man to hating the metal oh, man. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, like, my, favorite thing ab- my favorite thing about the issue, uh, Showcase, uh, some uh, on occasion, Showcase was like a tryout book for new concepts so that they, so they would have a, a few, they would have a few adventures for new concepts. Right, right. And then writers would say, yeah, I want to see more of this in their own book. And this issue ends with all of the metal men breaking the fourth wall to ask the readers if they're good enough to get their own comic. Totally. It, it just, God, it's so and sad. And they did. And they God. did, Matt. It's it so was. Like, what do you think, kid? Are the metal men good? <laughs> like, fuck off. God, you're the worst. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hate him. The platinum is so horny. This is the kid's comic. She's platinum horny, baby. so horny. She's, she's hot for Doc Magnus. <laughs> Jesus. All right, what do you got next? My next read is Shogun Warriors, number one, from Marvel, 1978. Now, just a little aside here. I'm a very old man, and I remember Christmas, 1979. My cousin Todd got three Shogun Warriors, Godzilla, Combatra, and Raideen, the big giant ones in the boxes. Yeah. And this was right about the time where they were being recalled because they had spring loaded weapons and those weapons were killing children, Joe. Rocket fist, baby. Rocket <laughs> <Yeah>. fist. <laughs> By the way, if Godzilla's rocket fist ever killed anyone, that kid deserved to die because it was the <laughs> weakest rocket fist ever. I thought they were the fucking coolest toys ever made. I still have, I still own all of them and I love them. So. As a kid, I was thrilled to go and find Shogun Warriors Marvel Comics, and I read them. Writer Doug Minch and Herb Trimpey are together again on what might be their first team-up on a licensed property. I couldn't no, really find... No, Godzilla came out before this. No, Godzilla was the next year. Oh, was Godzilla 1979? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, 1980 was Godzilla. Hmm. Yeah. So I think this was their first one. Don't quote me on that. Last week I complained about Trimpy's Godzilla design, but I have no complaints about his Raydine. This dude draws the hell out of Raydine, and it is awesome. The villain he fights, however, Rockcore, his design Rock-core. is just fucking stupid. <laughs> just real a- quick, there's a scene in this issue where Rockcore is uh, using his entire arsenal. His body yes. is an arsenal. They say yeah. it. Uh, and he lifts his leg like a dog and shoots his foot at Ray yep. <laughs> But it's not a foot. He's on giant it's spiked, a spiked roller it's skates. It's a spiked basically. wheel. Yeah. And like, 
Oh my god. That's like a suicide move, Rock Core. What do you what's your follow-up to that? This is like the worst designed giant robot I've ever seen. Yeah, <laughs> so it's, it's like it's very they were silly. Fine. Trimpy kicked ass drawing the ones that Japanese dudes designed and was like, Yeah, here they are. He was like, Oh yeah, I can draw the fuck out of that. Now make your own. He's like, all right. He's got a big barrel chest. He's got spiky nipples that shoot off. He's got Big giant like big wheel feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with spikes on. It was terrible. <laughs> Marvel had only liked his, his, his three feet, characters. His feet looked like that kind of pizza cutter tool that you'd get with your toilet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just stupid. Yeah. Marvel had only licensed three characters at the time: Radine, Combatra, and Dangard Ace. They were all good guys, so they had to come up with bad guys. So guess what? Rockor is on you, assholes. <laughs> This creative team wrote, wrote both Godzilla and Shogun Warriors, but somehow the two never crossed over. There was an American Shogun Warriors Godzilla toy, and they never crossed over. How is that even possible? Uh, I mean, maybe the Toho rights were different? No, no, because they, they licensed it. They had it. They had the Toho rights. They had the Shogun Warrior rights. Both these characters are in the Marvel Universe again. Well, I mean, uh, also, it only Shogun Warriors only lasted 18 issues. So. I get it, but I'm just saying, uh, giant robots show up, have a fist fight in the city, and I will give them credit here. They didn't try to marvelize it too much because nobody showed up. No fucking dum dum Dugan. Nobody. Uh, <laughs> there is an issue later in the run where they meet the Fantastic Four. Yes, later on when yeah. sales were starting to dip, they introduced the Fantastic Four. Yeah, yeah. The following issue, they destroy the Shogun Warriors off panel. <laughs> oh, good. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> well, there done. is no introduction to the fact that people are piloting these giant robot suits here. So, when the issue begins, it just kind of looks like Radine is confused and yelling about how his suit works and what it can and can't do. Well, yeah, it, it happens. It, yes, it does. It happens in flashback. Yeah. Later on, the issue well, opens with a giant robot fight and sure. three different voices coming out of the robot. Like, I can't remember how to shoot the fist or whatever, you know, and like, what is happening? If you I don't, feel like that there was a mention in the script about there being human pilots. No. Page one, Radine is yelling about what his suit can't do. No mention of anyone in there. All it's right. not until page 18 that we meet the people that are driving it. Again, there's no marvelizing right away. This is taking place in the Marvel Universe of the late 70s, early 80s. They have a new background for the Shogun Warriors, complete with a secret society that created them living under a mountain. And of course, they're fighting a villain as old as time that's been here since the dinosaurs were around. Herb Trimpey is doing his best Jack Kirby impression here, and he's killing it. It's really cool to look at. Not so much fun to read, and Marvel must have thought that kids were either too dumb to care about plot or setup, or Marvel just didn't give a shit, and they sent this stinker to the printers. <laughs> I am giving this a skimmit because Trimpy does a great Jack Kirby impersonation. I feel like they were giving a lot of license here to just sort of invent whatever for these characters because they did have a whole completely different background in Japan that was 
much better fleshed out. Here it was just another typical, like, they've always been here defending the Earth from evil alien threat that's also always been here. I mean, it's it's very it's very reminiscent of the Power Rangers. Exactly. Uh, where it's like, uh, an ancient evil that's been sleeping for millennia has been released. Right. Rita Repulsa. And again, like the Power Rangers had a whole background and different story in Japan. Sure, and American yeah, writers yeah. got a hold of it and went, like, American kids aren't going to go for that crap. Right. We're yeah. going to dumb it down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had a couple of issues of this as a kid. I, I didn't ever have the first issue. So this was my first time reading it. Uh, I forgot that uh, they are basically part of an alien cult. Yep. <laughs> it's so essentially they're a like cult. The, they're called like <laughs> the, the, the something of the, the followers, followers of, the of light, light or something. Or the followers yeah. of light, or, I think. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a weird alien cult dedicated to like just making sure shit does not go bad on the earth. Uh, Pretty much. And the yeah. Asian dude that drives Radine has the best fucking afro <laughs> oh uh, ilongo savage yeah is, he has is his a name. kick ass afro yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, um yeah i thought the art was great uh i i know that godzilla godzilla didn't look as good as this but i thought like the robot action was awesome it was in great this comic trimpy uh, is just kick ass at this stuff the only thing that sucked about godzilla was his godzilla right uh, the story, though, is, yes, very silly. So I'm also giving it a skim it. Joe Patrick, next robot. Next robot. We've got Avengers number 57 from Marvel Comics 1968. I love the Vision. He's one of my all-time favorite Avengers and one of the only characters that I would want to include on my team every time we fan cast them. It Nerd. comes up a lot. Who would be your Avengers team in this situation? The Vision's always there. Nerd. You know the story. He's created by the evil robot Ultron. Vision was sent on a mission to destroy the Avengers uh, by first breaking into the Wasp's apartment <laughs> for some yeah. reason. Well, uh, he had to check out her underwear drawer, yeah, you know, stuff right, like you that. Know, you know. Yeah. How else are you going to uh, take down the Avengers? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, only to promptly give it up when he realizes, oh, hey, I have free will. I was really expecting there to be more to that attitude change than that, but, you know, hey. Nope. <laughs> Roy, Roy Thomas had more story to get to. Uh, I love this era of the Avengers with Thomas steering the ship and Big John Buscema on art. The team is firmly established, but we're still learning more about these classic characters like Hawkeye's relationship with the Black Widow, uh, who I was thrilled to see in her original uh, weird, like, sexy oh, spy yeah. costume. Oh, yeah. With the cape so and the hot. big mask. Loved it. And King T'Challa trying to find his place in the world after being forced out of Wakanda. Vision struggles with his own identity here. He's wondering about his origins and why he feels like he's missing memory memories that he couldn't possibly possess. Uh, it would not be until the next issue that we very famously learned that even an Android can cry. Ugh. It, it's one of the most famous moments of the silver age of Marvel comics. And it is so silly. Uh, this is one of the definitive eras of the team for me, even for all of its Silver Age Marvel melodrama. Avengers 57, it's a great introduction to one of my favorite Marvel characters. I'm giving it a buy it. I, I love the art. I love this era of Avengers. I love the way they wrote it. I love how ridiculous it is. And I don't 
I'm not taking anything away from this first appearance of the vision other than the fact that, yeah, he very quickly gave up on his mission. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was just like, I must destroy the Avengers. No, never mind. <laughs> he, very, he very pathetically <laughs> fights them for like yeah. four pages. Yeah. And then and he's then like, he's, you know what? Never mind. You guys are okay. <laughs> I don't. It's like it's like when you leave the house, or when you go into the you like leave uh, you leave one room in your house and go into another room. And you're like, why did I go into this room? Right. That's what happens to the vision. <laughs> or like you got in a fight and you were in like you have such an ego that you realize I'm gonna lose bad. But I'm going to play it off like, all right, fellas, you know what? I changed my mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're lucky. You're so <laughs> yeah. lucky. You, if I wanted to, you would all be toast. Yep. But I've decided I'm going to join this team, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, I don't care about the vision. I have never really cared about the vision. Well, really? And I feel like he's been fucking crying and whining ever since he was first introduced. <laughs> like, Matt, how do you? Oh, how memories. Do you- oh, I'm not human enough oh i have kids now that i'm not gonna take care of and i don't understand how i made you know like whatever how do you show that a robot has emotions if he's not crying all the time yeah i get it um this is a great issue though i i really did love it it, it gets a huge buy for me i just don't care about the vision i love him i love him so much i know you do speaking of robots that cry i read red tornado number one from DC 1985, this was the Red Tornado miniseries that happened right before Crisis on Infinite Earths. I think it's occurring in the middle of Crisis. I, from uh, what I read, this happened, this ended, the last issue came out just as Crisis was starting. Uh, there's an ad for like Crisis number three or four in this comic. Really? Yeah. There wasn't in the one that I read, but maybe I read like a weird reprint or something. I don't know. Regardless. Uh, it was not until the early 90s that I started reading DC. So I am really loving going back to read this shit for the first time because it, it was so different than what was going on in Marvel at the time. It's crazy. Kurt Busiek and writes and Carmine Infantino draws this miniseries, which happens to be the last time that we saw Red Tornado as the android that would occasionally disguise himself as John Smith, a normal, completely bald office worker that talks and acts like a fucking alien. <laughs> he was a temp. He was so weird. But like when he's supposed to be human, he is so strange. <laughs> Busiek does a great job with breakdowns of the characters as they're being like studied by this yet unseen enemy that's looking to take out the red tornado. It turns out to be, I can't remember the name of the actual uh, it's robot. It's like the construct, I think. is Yeah, the, the construct. And they end up fighting like in the Matrix later on or whatever. Infantino's art is fantastic. Fantastic. He had like a style wholly his own in the 80s. Nobody drew like Carmen Infantino back then. He had these loose pencils and just a really awesome sense of animation. They're on beautiful display here. I learned everything I need to know about Red Tornado, his inner circle. Although I'm not really sure why Kathy, his girlfriend, is even attracted to the guy. When she met John, he was fucking homeless. And she got him a job as a temp. He's a complete weirdo the entire well, time. And, and she knows he's a robot. Does she know he's a robot here? In the data breakdown, both Kathy and their, I don't know, ward or whatever, Treya, they yeah. both know that he's the Red Tornado. See, now I knew the Middle Eastern girl knew that he was Red Tornado, but do they know that he is a robot? 
it's I mean, okay. I, I guess I don't that, know. They said that they know that he is the red tornado, but I don't know that they know that he's a fucking android. I think it's a <laughs> I think it's common knowledge that he that red tornado is an android. Okay. See, I I honestly know almost nothing about this Because character. they talk about it on the news. Lana Lang mentions it in the news. Yeah, she does. You're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah. But I learned just about everything I needed to know about this version of the character with those breakdowns. This was fun 80s DC stuff that actually seemed pretty ahead of its time. It would all just be wiped away in crisis and red tornado would end up an air elemental (laughs) when he comes back. No, that (laughs) happened in the sixties even. Well, yeah. And they like return to that after the crisis. His Android body was like possessed by an air elemental from a different planet. (laughs) That was like a major storyline in the justice league. We very well may have to do a red tornado. This is your life because his story it's His real, Ricky Page is it's wild, real dumb. man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm giving this a buy it. It was fun. Uh, I, I'm so thrilled that you gave this a buy it because very famously, uh, the Red Tornado miniseries by Kurt Busiek is very poorly regarded. <laughs> it is silly and stupid, but like it was 80s. It was fun. It was, a, it was this <sighs> time in like DC where I feel like Marvel was still like, the fall of mutants and shit was going on at Marvel. Like there was hardcore heavy shit. And somehow the Android dude that sort of looks like Dr. Manhattan with an arrow on his head is hanging out with cute little middle Eastern girl and his girlfriend, Kate, that he works with yeah. as a temp in his office. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it's uh, pre-crisis DC is very much still in the mode of like comics are for kids. Yo, yeah. Definitely. And they, they actually even went through a phase where they would print a slogan in the corner boxes of their covers that said DC Comics, uh, not just for kids anymore. And it was right <laughs> around that time that like Dark Knight and Watchmen were coming out. So like a year later, there would be like a tonal shift at DC. Um, but yeah, yeah like- this is this is very much embracing that pre-crisis aesthetic. Oh, definitely. And like Lana Lang's a reporter. I'm like, what is going on? What the fuck is she holding, by the way? I'm looking at it right now. It's supposed to be a microphone. Kind of? Maybe? it It looks like a cocktail weenie on a toothpick made out of metal. Sort of. Yeah. I, I don't <laughs> know. Like, what, is, what is that supposed to it's be? Like, it's like she had like one of those collar mics on or something, you know, and she took it off and is holding it and talking into yeah, it. Yeah, like she's sticking it in Red Tornado's face. And I swear to God, it looks like a cocktail weenie. Yeah, a lapel mic is what I'm trying yeah, to say. Yeah, yeah, like lapel mic. she's holding yeah, ex- a lapel mic. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, it's it's goofy, but uh, I love Carmine Infantino. He, he, you are right that he does have a very distinctive art style. Oh, Carmine yeah. Infantino, again, co-creator of Barry Allen. There you go. Uh, I love but, the design of Red Tornado too. I had that Red Tornado superpowers figure as a kid. Didn't oh. know shit about him, but yeah, I was yeah. just like, man, this guy looks awesome because he looked like a wrestler to me. I loved him. Yeah, uh, I love the Red Tornado just like I love the Vision. And basically, he is Marvel's or DC's answer to the Vision, or probably more accurately, the Vision was Marvel's answer to Red Tornado. Right. Um, but Less yeah, crying I'm, though from what uh, I yeah yeah exactly uh, i'm giving this a buy it it is goofy fun and a uh, very early kurt busiek and you can see that like this dude's got a knack for characters yeah definitely i liked it moving on 
my next review is Transformers number one from Marvel Comics 1984. I have such fond memories of this series, yeah. uh, though I only had a handful of random issues here and there. I remember my tiny mind being blown when issue five came out uh, of what was just supposed to be a four issue limited series. And I think the cover actually said issue five of a four issue limited it series. Does. It like, does. Yeah. And I was fuck? just like, fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it appeared in that issue that shockwave had murdered all of the Autobots. Yep. Uh, as with most of the licensed books that Marvel put out in the seventies uh, and early eighties, the creators at the house of ideas were responsible with developing the characters and the lore for properties that were just starting to hit the U S. Oh yeah. They're like, here are some Japanese toys. Write a story about them. Yeah, like, <laughs> basically. Like I, the first issue of Marvel's Star Wars comics uh, came out before the movie, and they were like, "Darth Vader, what's he? What's he look like?" And like they just kind of had to come close enough <laughs> to right. what Darth Vader was supposed well, to be. Well, I think the story was like, they were like, well, can we get the script? And they were like, no way. And they were like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, we'll write something. <laughs> uh, legendary writer Denny O'Neill is famously credited for naming Optimus Prime. Yeah. Uh, this issue is scripted by Ralph Macchio, not that one, and based on a plot the by Bill Mantlo. The Karate Kid, yes, yeah, that one. The Karate Kid, right. <laughs> uh, Transformers number one crams the entire history of the Cybertronian warriors into a single issue. It's so great. No, sure. <laughs> it's so they great. They thought they only had four issues to begin with. Yeah. They're like, oh, and, shit. <laughs> uh, like I said, they had to do a lot of heavy lifting introducing the concept since the comic started months before the cartoon but still it's the ex the exposition is overwhelmingly boring oh my god and there are so many boxes with writing like yeah. so much like, narration like the, the story grinds to a complete halt as no joke every single decepticon and autobot <laughs> names themselves and explains yep. their motivation <laughs> and you the, know they were like look it's gonna be a cartoon and it's got to sell toys okay so anytime somebody walks into a panel they say their name they don't just say it once they say it four times and they explain what they, they do like, okay 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 ralph this is great but we really need to know who blue streak is we really need you to lean on blue streak the art does not do the book any favors either. This issue draws you in with a dynamic Bill Sienkiewicz cover, but then it quickly pulls a bait and switch. It's so bad. <laughs> it's, I looked so at Frank Springer's work in later issues, and it is a lot better. Oh, yeah. So I'm placing most of the blame on Kim DeMolder's excessively heavy black inks and <laughs> Nell Yamtov's repetitive coloring. I don't now, know, man. I, I don't know. Come I, on. No, I, I think, honestly, I think Frank Springer definitely got better. But I, think, I don't think anybody had to draw shit like this. So, like, but, he just didn't uh, even know me? where to like, go. A few years, like, less than 10 years earlier, Herb Trimpey was drawing the Shogun Warriors. You're telling yeah, me but, that? But even the Shogun Warriors were, like, think about the design of the Shogun Warriors versus the design of Optimus Prime. Yeah, it, okay, they were but stripped they, down. They look like giant superheroes. Optimus Prime is a pretty detailed figure. Yeah, but I'm saying if you look closely at the line work, 
it is so muddy with black lines. Oh, it definitely. And definitely. that's definitely an inker's problem. I, I just think Springer was getting the hang of drawing these characters. Yeah, maybe, too. <laughs> maybe. But I thought the inks and the colors were especially bad. Now, I know that production values were a lot less fancy in 1984, but there is panel after panel after panel of nondescript robots that oh, are yeah. all colored exactly the same. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> it's almost impossible to identify any but the most famous characters. There's other great panels where famous character one and famous character two are the only two characters that are fully colored, and everyone else is just like blowing up in the background. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're, we're all like brown they're, they're and we're gray all gray or yellow. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm giving Transformers number one a skimmit. Mostly for nostalgic value, but also because I know that the quality of the series ramps up almost immediately as better writers step in and the creators have more room to develop their own stories. Ralph Macchio only wrote this first issue. And then uh, I think Bob Budiansky is the guy that kind of shepherds the Transformers uh, for the first half of its run after that. And those stories are so much better. Yeah. Uh, but they, yeah. they really fleshed out like the Cybertron, Cybertron shit. And yeah. like, oh man. Well, it is like, it's like Cybertron shook loose from its orbit. And now it's just floating through space. Sure. Like a softball. Yeah. Flying through <laughs> asteroid. It's like that planet would have been torn apart. <laughs> no, dude. Cybertron held itself together. Come All on. right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's Come a skimmit for me. Man, the Bill Sienkiewicz cover, like doing the Transformers. It's kick-ass. Oh, my God. It's so cool. And the art inside is so fucking bad. <laughs> it's just yeah. terrible. Uh, I loved rereading this, though, and, and just like trying to picture what these poor bastards that were put in charge of writing this and getting it out to like make kids read it, make kids buy the toys. This is probably one of the most difficult jobs i can think of in comics at the time and they do a great job you know there was so much super heavy editorial going here with them saying like mattel wants us to do this mattel wants us to say their names mattel wants us to explain all this shit and they're just like oh my god fine i'll put it all on the page and they do (laughs) they put it all on the page and it is a goddamn mess but it's so much fun i'm giving it a skim it too. <laughs> yeah i mean none of these have been really great oh but, my god uh <laughs> this was the first this was the first one that i read this week where i was like god damn this is a bad comic yeah it really is but i can't give it a leave it because i don't no, feel no, like because it is I, their love fault. It. I love it like but not just that it is not their fault these poor right. assholes did the best they could possibly do and you know every time they came back with like well what do you think about this page and they're like nope more 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 right. say their name again blow yeah. something else up more exploding robots like jesus okay and so uh, like when i when i read this after i read this i looked at issues four and five which were the first two that i had as a kid and by number four which was supposed to be the last issue air quotes um they obviously knew that they were going ongoing so it sets up all these huge plot points like yeah. Shockwave showed up and he is a fucking badass. Right. Here's where the Dinobots came from. Yeah, like uh, suddenly they were like, okay, so you're giving us a little room to breathe? Thank yeah. you. All right. And it's it's yeah. like it, it's so much better. And they're like even the even the human character stuff where like uh Buster's dad 
sells out the Autobots because he's worried yeah. about his kid. I'm like, shit, man, that's some heavy stuff. The, the only reason that I think this stuck around was like, sh- like purely on the back of the cartoons. Fan. Oh yeah, 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 definitely. Because there's this was not. Good. <laughs> oh well, and I, and it obviously worked because I was totally in the tank for Transformers in 1984. I, was too. I bought every issue back then. Like I couldn't, you like, couldn't I, keep this out like, of my hand. That Christmas, I got my Metal Optimus Prime, and I was just like, I never looked back. I was like, die Transformer, cast. Transformers for life. Diecast. Come on, it was man. made out of metal. Act like you've been there. Diecast. Diecast is what you call it. He was made out of metal. That is diecast metal, genius. That's what you call it. <laughs> Come on. He's metal. Good lord. My final review goes to a pretty good comic and one from not too long ago. Our Man, number one. This is from DC. It was 1999. We were smack dab in the middle of Grant Morrison's insane JLA run. It was so great. This version of Our Man was created by Morrison and Howard Porter during his run, and it's the first Our Man that was actually an android from the future, no less, the 853rd century. Matt Tyler is the name of your android Our Man, and Snapper Car will later on give us a completely bizarre reason why <laughs> No, they Tyler. just call him Tyler. Well, he goes on later on, he starts referring to himself as Matt Tyler. He takes Incorrect. his own. No, he takes his own first name because he's trying to be more human. No, he calls himself Tyler. He doesn't call himself Matt Tyler. I am like the world's biggest Android Hour Man fan. He is referred to as Matt Tyler, the Hour Man of the 853rd century on his wiki page. And they talk about the issue that he decides he's going to give himself a first name because he wants to be more human. Hmm. I don't buy so, it. I don't know what to tell you. I, I do know that there is a, a brief storyline where he uh, he takes on a secret identity as a homeless teen that lives yes. in the mall. <laughs> that was the whole thing. <laughs> anyway, carry on. DC editor turned writer Tom Payer and a very young Rags Morales are your creative team here. Rags is good. Very good here, but he's coming into his rag style, and you can see it. There is some weirdness here and there, like the way he draws Green Lantern and uh, Wally West and the Flash playing like a game with the Green Lantern ring, and they're both just like, ah, like crazy beaming, smiling. They look like lunatics. <laughs> I love this series so much, but I forgot how weird it was. Payer writes Our Man like a complete and total spaz in this first record, like time in this first issue. Time obviously works differently around him and he affects time differently. So like the issue opens with Our Man going, can we just skip ahead 20 minutes? I'm about to say some really embarrassing things. And then Green Lantern is going to be like, you just need a woman. And Huntress is like, why are you such a sexist pig? And Green Lantern's like, I don't even say anything yet. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> what is going on? He's been in this timeline for a very short amount of time and Payer is trying to get across that he's trying to be more human and having trouble. But the problem is he sees the future, the present and the past all at once, which makes for some head spinning dialogue. I also forgot this was the return of Snapper Carr, who was sort yes. of like the Justice League's Rick Jones, if you will. Remember how Snapper Carr ended up suddenly clairvoyant? Where did that come from? Uh, he's not clairvoyant. 
Yeah. In this, he says, oh, yeah, like, uh, he's like, oh, sorry, I was using my clairvoyance or whatever. You know, like, no, no, no you he, he's, talk not, about me. he's not clairvoyant. I, I think it had something to do with the time travel. Like, he knew that our man was coming. Uh, oh, well, Snapper, car, a, Snapper Car had teleportation powers. He made a comment about his clairvoyance in this. So I, I don't think like, he I literally has that. clairvoyance, no. No, his dialogue is a little dated and kind of weird. Yeah, I mean, but that's that's Snapper Car, though. That's like yeah, his I, whole shit. I guess, yeah. He, he talks was, like, you know, he's like, hey, daddy-o, that sort of thing. Yeah, he's like, let's beat feet out of here, daddy-o, and head back to my place where Brenda's waiting, or like, whatever. I can't remember her name. Uh, Brandy? She gets, she gets turned into a little girl on accident yeah, while yeah. they're fighting Amazo because Snapper Car, you know, just sort of took an Amazo chip out of the Justice League trophy room through his pockets. He thought it was cool. What could the harm be, right? It's Amazo, uh, the most deadliest android that's ever walked the planet. <laughs> What could be the problem? Uh, Snapper Car is a classic fuck up. That's kind of his whole shtick. He, right. uh, his most famous storyline is where he accidentally betrayed the Justice League uh, by leading the Joker to their secret hideout. Yeah, like they should have cut his head off a long time ago. <laughs> it's like yeah. Snapper, we love you, but we got to put you in a bag with a brick and throw you in the river, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, th- this was this is fun, and it's a great first issue. It's super wacky, and it's setting up this insane series that is really going to explore the idea of an android trying to be human from the future based on Grant Morrison's super whacked out ideas. Tom Payer was a great writer. This is some of his best stuff. Rags Morales is incredible with the scripts that he was given because they are nuts, totally nuts. Amazo shows up. They go and have a fight in the three in the year 3000 on a different planet. Amazo yeah. is all of a sudden like, from the future and he has like a skeleton head <laughs> yeah it's, ti- it's, time mazo it's fucking awesome i'm giving this a buy it uh yeah i love i love this series so much um it, it, this started very similarly to slingers which we reviewed a few uh, weeks ago Ugh. uh where it actually got its start in the wizard zero issue oh really yeah, it it was enclosed in whatever month's issue of Wizard, uh, the comics magazine. It was like an anything uh, you can wizard, we can wizard better. Basically. Yeah, right. <laughs> DC's part. And uh, it was uh, in that story. I think that's the story where uh, it sets up the idea that like he was basically godlike. Yeah. And Snapper well, convinces he, him to give it up. He has this thing called the Whirlagog. The Whirlagog, which is a Jack Kirby thing. Right, which is like um, gives him godlike powers more. Or yeah, less. it was given to him by Metron, who was his mm-hmm. mentor in the in the year eighty five thousand two hundred and seventy one. <laughs> and uh, I think that's the actual year. Don't at me. Wow. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I love this comic so 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 much. Um, the zero issue is really a, a much better setup for this, but this issue is great. Uh, just the idea that our man is stumbling around—he's basically a baby. Yeah, more or less with hyper intelligence, right? Uh, and so he knows everything, but doesn't and understand crazy anything. fucking time powers, like yes. godlike time powers. And so, like they they uh, they kind of uh, mirror the original hour man uh that the idea that like for one hour he's got this power right uh and 
it's it's a great device that they use very effectively throughout the series. They had to fight tooth and nail to keep the, to keep this thing going for just two years. It's such a wonderful run. It really uh, is. Rag, Rags Morales had been around for years at this point. I don't think he's coming into anything. I think this is just Rags Morales. I think he's coming into his style. No, man. Here. He drew a D&D comic in the 80s. He drew Black Condor in no, the very early 90s. And I know that, but go back and look at it. It doesn't look like the Rags Morales that we know and celebrate today. Yeah, this is it him does. Coming it does into to me. I think if you hold this up to... Style. I think if you hold this up to Identity Crisis, it's going to look very similar. See, I disagree. I think by the no. end of the Hour Man series, yes, he's no. there. Has, he's got his weird faces. That's just how he draws. I, mean, I don't disagree with that. I just think his yeah. style improved while he worked on this. and he became, Well, I mean, artists, artists evolve over time. That's true with yeah. all artists. But I just think he became the artist we recognize. By the end of the series, it was there. Like, that's fucking Rags Morales, man. He this was already was, there to me. He I was already this, there to like, me. And I squinted a little bit. I was like, all right, okay, I see it. <laughs> nah, he was already there to me. I love this comic. It's a huge buy it. It's a great run. Just following uh, our man's journey as he tries to learn how to become uh, more human, it's, it's so good. Yeah, it is great. And it's not even about the superhero stuff. That's totally secondary. I love it. Final review, Joe Patrick, do you realize these, we did two comics that are neither Marvel nor DC for the first time in a lot of weeks? It's true. It's uh, crazy. It's true, yeah. Uh, my us. final review is Magnus Robot Fighter from Valiant, 1991. I pretty much missed the entire first wave of Valiant Comics domination in the 90s, uh, though I have heard plenty of tales about their high-quality stories and production. This was my first time reading Magnus Robot Fighter, and I was blown away. This, this, Ralph Macchio, is how you tell a story full yes. of dozens of nearly identical robots. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I was immediately taken with the art by Art Nichols and colorist Janet uh, Miss Jackson, if you're nasty. Uh, the inks by Bob Layton and Catherine Bollinger give the book the sheen of Layton's heyday on Iron Man. Everything's totally. like shiny and chrome totally. looking. Uh, Bollinger, nope. The book unapologetically embraces the concept's original Silver Age sensibilities. I don't even think it's a reboot because there's a recap at the beginning. The robots all have these ridiculous bulbous heads and spindly Doc Ock arms. But somehow the creators make them seem like a legitimate threat. Writer Jim Shooter carries right on, uh, like I said, from the original series, and he gives the reader just enough backstory to know the characters and where they came from. There's also this uh, undercutting story of about class and servitude and what makes a living being. Yeah, this comic rules. And it definitely made me interested in checking out Valiant's other offerings of the time. I can't believe I totally missed out on this era. Magnus Robot Fighter number one gets a huge buy it. It's the best thing I read all week. I loved Valiant at this time. And like their comics just looked so slick. It was crazy how good they looked. And like the, the art here, it's very much it's got a silver age feel like the way he dresses and stuff like he's wearing a skirt and like a hercules belt he's wearing <laughs> you know? a skirt which is weird <laughs> yeah. it's basically like a long night shirt with a but belt. he's a total fucking badass and like this is very pardon me flash gordon sort of like 
golden age yeah, looking yeah. sci-fi right. but it's written with this very adult you know like sense of action and what is it to be human and the, like the threats are very real and it, it's super intense the art is just stunning and the coloring is amazing the coloring the is really impressive it really is i love this run i loved revisiting this huge buy it i wish we could just get a fucking magnus book this good again just yeah. do it they keep trying to reinvent the wheel and they don't yeah. have to it, it they did like turok at the time was so fucking great and like ah oh man they there was all these titles that came out from valiant at the time that were just awesome and they haven't been able to do it with those gold key characters yeah turok and magnus they've solar. got yeah solar dot yeah man those books were so great and i just wish they could get them back and do it right it's too bad right now they're i think they're a dynamite is where the gold key characters uh, live yeah i think so that's Is the that last right? time i saw them if i recall yeah. and floundering but they're not know. doing anything with them well there was that turok series not too long ago it was only a mini though yeah but like i don't think there's been a magnus comic for a while no long time yeah it's too bad too yeah i wish valiant could get the rights back to this stuff and do it right Joey, whew, those are some reviews, baby. Holy cow, man. I mean, we really went in depth there. We really do. I, I've been having so much fun doing this, though, and I hope you guys are having fun listening to it. Let us know uh, what you thought of these yeah, comments, I, what you think of these reviews. Do you like this? Because I hope we're not really, too long-winded. You know what I right. mean? But we just get so, so in, we just get so into the discussion. And I, I'm really enjoying this format, and I might even, we're considering carrying it through when new comics come back, because this is just a fun way to do it. Kind of just each of us read it, each of us talk through it, and not necessarily focus just on one. Like, let's get into it. Let's dig yeah. in a little like, bit. This is, a, this is the first time that we really, uh, we, we both read all of our review. Like, we both read each other's stacks. You know what I right. mean? And I just, I, I'm having so much fun, and I hope it's not boring to anybody, but yeah, I, I really hope that when new comics come back, we can keep it up in this way. Definitely. Please, hit us up, let us know, but right now, it's time to head up to THN Sanctum Sanctorum so we can reveal our theme for next week. We're going to grab the Magic 8-Ball of Cathan and give it a... Marduk. The Magic 8-Ball of Marduk. Pardon me, the Magic 8-Ball of Marduk. Cathan. Give me a break. What if it was my first day? So we shake it up. We wait for the little dice to float to the surface. And it looks like, oh, ho, 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 Joe Patrick, your favorite. We're doing Westerns next oh, week. Oh, boy. Riding and roping. Yee-hoo! <laughs> now, of course, Western in the loosest definition. It could be a time where the Avengers traveled back to the Old West. Maybe you're talking about the old Ghost Rider, you know? I mean, Ooh, can I or, can I review Hex where he goes to the future? Absolutely. I'll yes, count it. Dibs. He's a cowboy. Let's get into it. <laughs> <laughs> Next week is Westerns. Joe Patrick, tell me about the completely random trade of the week that has nothing to do with our theme for the show. Yes, uh, this is where we peer into the cursed mirror of Cathan. Thank you. Uh, just so that you keep your elder gods straight. Uh, <laughs> our trade of the week is Avengers Epic Collection, colon, Behold the Vision. 
It's a trade paperback from Marvel Comics written by Roy Thomas with art by John Buscema and Various. It's 456 pages for $34.99. It is one of the only collected editions of any of the books we read that is still in print. Wild, right? It is weird. But we did read some crap, so. It's true. It's true. (laughs) Here is your solicit. Prepare yourself for one of the most stellar creative periods in Avengers history. Roy Thomas. Oh, oh, oh. Take it easy. (laughs) Roy Thomas, John Buscema, Gene Colan, and Sal Buscema raise Earth's mightiest heroes to unheard of heights with the debut of The Vision, an all-out battle with Ultron, and the introduction of Yellow Jacket, and an all-new Goliath. Spoiler alert. It's Hawkeye. Then, Kang the Conqueror drops in from the 41st century, pitting our heroes against the Squadron Sinister in a cosmic chess match. All As if one set of adversaries from across time wasn't enough, the Avengers must also battle the Captain America, Submariner, and Human Torch of 1941. Oh my god! Also featuring the Black Panther versus the Sons of the Serpent and the return of Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch and the Barbarian Archon, the Magnificent. I love Archon. (laughs) Sounds like he's a little full of himself. I don't know. Uh, I love Archon and I love even more that Wonder Man played Archon in the Marvel Universe movie based on the character. (laughs) Uh, This collects Avengers Volume 1 issues 57 through 76 and Marvel superheroes 1967 issue number 17. You can find this at your local comic shop or ask them to order it for you. And they'll get it. And they'll say, thank you for supporting us. We need your help right now. And only you can save comic books. It's time for another edition of Casey Explains It All. And this week, Casey and Matt are talking about their Marvel Cinematic Universe chronological rewatch. Take it away, kids. Casey, welcome back to The Ziggurat. We are here to talk about our MCU chronological viewing that we've been doing while in quarantine. That is correct. This was your idea. It was my idea. Which I was super excited about. We started yeah. with Captain America, the first Avenger, mm-hmm. which takes place during World War II. So correct. technically, chronological order, first First one. movie, yeah. Yeah, it was great. Did it hold up for you? Yeah, I um, I actually really liked it in the theater, surprisingly, because I wasn't really excited to see this at all. Um, I remember dragging you to it. Yeah, and I, I, I liked it in the theater, and I really liked it watching it again because... I posted this on Twitter, but controversial. My most favorite character in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe is Peggy Carter. You were unreasonably excited about Peggy I Carter. love Peggy. Peggy is such a badass. I don't remember you being this excited about Peggy. Yeah, I was into Peggy after seeing the movie. I remember talking about it, and I was so excited that there was this tough woman who was portrayed who was, like, busty and kind of tough and wasn't, like, You never watched pounds. the TV show. Um, I watched some of it. Oh, you did? Yeah. <laughs> I loved her. I didn't even know you watched some of it. No, well, you we used to work at night, so I had a lot of free time okay, on my that's hands. that's true. <laughs> this was back in the day. <laughs> so. I watched a lot of crap. Both loved Cap. I like that. But yeah, I really liked the first movie. I thought it held up. I think, I mean, I like Bucky, too. Bucky's one of my most favorite yeah. characters. I got to say, when they came marching back after Cap freed everybody and comes marching back with the Howling Commandos and Bucky mm-hmm. and the theme music, the Captain America theme music comes up, yeah. I cried. Gets me every goddamn time. Yeah. and Every course. time. Ugh. And it has, you know, one of our most favorite people in that entire movie, 
Tooch. Stanley Tooch. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> we love a good Stanley, Stanley Tooch. Tooch. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we just like I, him I shared a lot. Some, uh, <laughs> I shared some uh, party favors that, I, you know, with Mrs. Baum, and she thought calling Stanley Tucci Tooch was the funniest thing in the world. I was crying. Let's <laughs> move right along to Captain Marvel. Uh, Next up is Captain Marvel. It takes place in 1995. Yes. Every time I see this movie, I love it more. Yes. Okay. So I remember <laughs> seeing it in the movie theater and I remember us leaving and I turned to you and I said, I love that. I, that like totally hit me in places and like I got emotional and I thought that was so cool. And I don't really feel one way or another about Brie Larson, and, but, um, I thought, Everyone in that movie was fantastic. And watching it, we've watched it a couple times since then. At that then. time, I thought Brie Larson was also in Westworld. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, another white woman with I know. blonde hair. Very white, very blonde. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, but I remember you just kind of being like, meh on it. You thought it was good. But I was like, no, it was really good. And then we rewatched it a couple of times this summer and stuff. And every time, like usually I'll tune out if you rewatch some of these. But I always find myself paying attention and not like dicking around on my phone. And after we watched it this time, didn't I turn to you? And I was like, man, I think that's my favorite. Yeah, I, I, I <laughs> it did. gets better Upon every time. Rewatch, <laughs> I really love it even more. Ben Mendelsohn is wonderful in it. It's uh, so, Sam Jackson is yeah. fantastic in it. I, the humor in it, mo that movie is so yeah. good. It's like underrated funny. It's and like Brie Larson dry. really understated. I really liked her performance. She's the first great. time I was like, I don't totally get it. Nah, she's but great. Seeing it again a couple times again, loved it. Moving right along, uh -huh. Iron Man takes place in 2010. Dun, dun, we take a jump. Dun, dun, dun. I had not seen the first Iron Man movie. I don't think I've seen it since it came out. God. So I haven't it seen it been a while. since 2010 is when it takes place. So. It had definitely been a while. I loved it. I liked it. Totally yeah. loved it. Jeff Bridges is so good in that movie. And like it gets a little cheese ball when he puts on the big armor and he's mm -hmm. like, Tony, I'm here to kill you. You know, like that gets a little ridiculous. Right. But the character arc, what they did with it, you know, they were setting up the things that they would touch on later on in the Marvel Universe and Robert Downey Jr. I can't get over how young he was. What, he's, he's not even old, right? Like, I shouldn't even say that. He's like 54. But he, but I mean, like in 2010, he was like 40 something. He's like yeah, your age. Late 40s. Yeah. OK, let's just he's not my age. He's he just, older than me. Okay? I, but just he was just like, I, I just I think I think I was a little distracted by how young he was. And that's not to say that he, again, is old, but. Um, yeah, I liked the first Iron Man movie. I I don't like it's not my favorite. I do think the character that he played, it's easy to forget because we just think about mm -hmm. like his character as Iron Man as Tony Stark and just like, oh, yeah, he's so good. He's so good. But he did that from the very first movie. Yeah, no, he's great. No question. And his like his Iron Man throughout the whole, I think, like timeline that we're watching these has every movie. It changes like well, let's yeah, let's, and so we'll get there. But yeah, Iron Man Two is next. Let's talk about that because Iron Man Two <laughs> is kind of regarded as one of the worst Marvel yeah. movies. And I gotta say, we both I I didn't like it when I saw it in the theater. I I, I didn't was, like Scarlett Johansson. I thought I, it was fine when I saw it in the theater. I did not think it was great. I thought it was fine, and there were some good character moments. I thought the performance Downey Jr.'s performance again mm -hmm. was wonderful, but I thought it was fine. Rewatching the movie. I really liked yeah, it. I liked it a lot more the second time. Like, I guess I've only seen it twice. This is the second time I've seen it. I did not like it in the theater. And Mickey Rourke's performance is fantastic. I wouldn't go that far. I think it's kind <laughs> of fantastic. I wouldn't go that far. I will say I 
I didn't like Scarlett Johansson the first time I saw it. Uh, I didn't like Black Widow. I didn't. I guess I didn't get it. Um, but watching her again in this movie, I actually really liked her. And to me, um, she kind of really made a lot of the scenes for me. And I was really surprised by that take because this I'm was not also a, a point where they were definitely setting up who she's going to be. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, they were, and they were setting up things that were going to come. Um, con- another controversial opinion. I have a love-hate relationship with Pepper Potts. I kind of hate Pepper Potts. God, and I think it's because I fucking just Gwyneth Paltrow. I think it's goop, right? It's goop. And she's not a bad actress. It's just something about her. No, she's... I. Okay. Bill Simmons is a guy that I completely respect, and I love his podcast. And he did a whole thing where they watched a bunch of Gwyneth Paltrow movies. He loves Gwyneth Paltrow. I don't get it. I don't get it. I think she's perfectly fine. I don't have an issue with her. I think she's better than a lot of actresses. She's a good and actress. I don't mind her as Pepper, but I do. I, I think she's like the least interesting one, even though yes. Pepper is like, Pepper is such a badass because she like controls everything. She like, if she didn't, if Tony didn't have her, he'd be fucked. I think that's the problem. Pepper is supposed to be a badass and I don't buy Gwyneth Paltrow as Okay. I just don't buy Pepper as the corporate badass that is mm. running Stark Industries. No. I, and I like her. She's likable in the role. It just didn't work for me. Okay. I, I, I The one thing I do buy about her is that she could, she's so fucking anal and organized. She can yeah, do that I do shit. like that. I, like, I mean, like, I feel like Gwyneth Paltrow, like, oh yeah, fuck yeah, Gwyneth Paltrow could do that yeah. shit. Pepper would be like that, yeah. Yeah, but and she had some know. good lines where she's talk, like talking to the blonde reporter girl and she's like, oh, I also take out Tony's garbage. You know, like, yeah. ooh. Yeah. In your face. We skipped the Incredible Hulk. I wanted to watch it just you to see You wanted it to watch it so bad. Well, I was like, no. Not because I remember loving it. I remember not liking it. I just wanted it, to watch it. In its defense, it's not terrible. Like, I, as I recall. <laughs> it's I really, not good. <laughs> I mean, we don't need to go in it because we didn't watch it. Yeah. So we skipped that one. We went straight to Thor, which takes place six months yeah. before the Avengers. So... Let me just, before we even get into that, I've actually never seen the first two Thors. Yeah, this is your the first, third, e- yeah, third, your I, first experience my, with the Thor movies, my, right? No, my first experience with Thor movies was Ragnarok. I was like all in for that. Okay, that's But right. I had not seen Thor 1 and 2, and I put it off because I heard you especially be like, eh, eh, I wasn't eh. like, uh, I just felt like in my I'm sorry, mind. Sorry, you were like, uh, uh. Yeah, and there's, eh, eh. I, in my mind, I felt like Thor was very dated, and for some reason, as <laughs> the a Marvel, the effects in Thor were shit. There were some bad effects. They were so fucking bad. There were some serious CG like it bad was so bad. I think I turned to you and I was like, "This is a Once Upon a Time bullshit." But TV show, not with movie. that said, it was great. I surprisingly liked Thor a lot, and it I was remember totally great. Well, I remember you being like, "It should be fun, do 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 funny da da," and I was like, "Man, I kind of giggled all the way through." Yeah, I I really enjoyed it. I thought Thor was, and you like bitched a moan about Natalie Portman. I thought Natalie Portman was dope. I was like, and I don't really like Natalie Portman. And I don't I was think like, she was dope in this role. She was good. I, I she bought was her. Fine She's just in this teeny. role. <laughs> we'll get to Thor too, and I like her more in that. But mm. I liked her in this first movie. I I really I was surprised that I liked the first first Thor. And I feel like I liked it better than Iron Man 2. Well, we'll get to that. Uh, or no, we already passed Iron Man yeah, 2. Yeah, we already... Well, that was yeah, I don't know. I, I think Thor definitely... You know why else I like Thor? Because it was 90 minutes. <laughs> it was short. It was definitely short. Perfect. I will say they set up... It's easy to... There were people that saw the third Thor, which we'll get to, 
Ragnarok and said like, oh, it's just, just so silly and whatever. And Thor was like all messed up. And But Thor's always been no, like that. I felt like go back and watch it, that yeah. first Thor. It's right there. He's a macho idiot. Yeah, I think he had good character development, though, too, between Thor and Thor, you know, whatever. But we can get to all that we'll stuff. We'll get to that one. But also, that. it introduces us to one of the most fantastic characters ever, Loki. Yes. <laughs> this is our first taste of Man. Loki. And Loki is completely Loki. I from the beginning. don't know anything about him. And I, well, besides what I saw, like, the first time I saw him was Avengers. Yeah, I love that character. He's completely Loki. Great. And he's and, great. And. Moving right along to the <laughs> Avengers. Takes place in 2012. Bom, bom, bom. Yeah. Right after Thor, right before Iron Man 3. So we finally see the team come together. Yeah, with this worthless piece of shit, Hawkeye. I hate him. <laughs> Worst waste of space. I don't understand why you hate Hawkeye so much. What's his point? His point is he's the normal guy that is supposed to be working for the government looking in on all of these super people. Yeah. He I, sucks. See, I disagree. I didn't like him when he showed up in Thor. I never had a problem when? with <laughs> Hawkeye. And rewatching the Avengers, I forgot how much I love the original, the original Avengers. Yeah, it's fun. It was so much fun. It was cool to see them all like how it was the first time we had seen that, yeah. you know, and like there's the thing with the Hulk running through New York and smashing Loki and everything like it, it all hit again and it all still completely works. Yeah, no, so and they have great chemistry. Everyone just was great. great. Super fun. I mean, some effects again were a little. Then we move on to Jeez. Iron Man 3. Oh, man, I know how you're saying it You like had a that. tough time with Iron Man 3. I had so much toughness with Iron Man 3. See, and man, I, this has been my least fucking favorite, guys. In my mind, Iron Ugh. Man 3 was better than Iron Man 2, but I got to say, disagree. when I rewatched it with you, I think mm. I enjoyed Iron Man 2 Same. More. This Iron Man 3 was a struggle Iron for Iron Man me. 3 was... Look, <sighs> I'm going to tell you right up front. I do not enjoy movies where they take a sassy child and put him in character and stuff. But the kid was really good. No, that kid was really kid good. Kid was fine. I just don't need that. And I get what they were doing with Tony. He was, you know, messed up, PTSD yeah. from New York, which I like that they, like, kept that and he was. And the kid was also a smart kid. Yeah, and I, I like a child how, explaining it to me. Shane Black loves kid actors, though. I like Shane Black stuff. And he, That's I, the thing. I thought the way that Which, he wrote him the whole time where Tony was like an asshole to him, <laughs> basically, and didn't was like, you got to help me, kid. You're my sidekick or whatever. Like Tony was a jerk to him the yeah. entire time. And I really liked that. And the kid was lovable. I thought Rebecca Hall, who plays Maya Hansen, she's the woman that yeah, created that. Extremist. I love her. I and absolutely love her. She was fine. I thought she was great. I thought it was just like stuff another character in, stuff another character in. See, and I thought this was the this was the role that Pepper was the worst in. Because yes, she, I yes. She was whiny and she distressed. Was so whiny the entire time. And then when she got like infected with that goo to make her a badass, I'm like, no, it didn't work. No, it didn't work. I'm not buying that one bit. Okay, we move on to Thor: The Dark World, which is widely considered. One of the worst Marvel Liked movies. Liked it better than Iron Man 3. I loved <laughs> Thor. Rewatching Thor The Dark World? Yeah. It was so much fun. And you know what it was? It was fun. It was uh, Natalie, Natalie Portman, Portman and what's her head? Uh, her friend. Yeah. Two uh, broke girls. Why can't I say her name? I don't know, but it's two, she's the girl from Kat, Kat Dennings. Kat she Dennings. Did, fun fact, she dated Josh Groban. Thank you for that. <laughs> Everyone, they're not together anymore, but, FYI. Like, they were a adorable in this and you can tell they leaned into Kat Dennings and they were like you be the funny part because this is a very serious movie. Well she was funny in the first one too but yeah. I will say Malekith 
which is a villain that I very much like in the comics. He was played by Christopher Eccleston, which who was the first doctor when they relaunched Doctor Who. I did not love that Doctor Who relaunch, but I really like Christopher Eccleston for some reason. Mm. His sure. villain does not do much of anything in this movie. Like he's not. I honestly don't even remember the villain yeah. that much. Like that was secondary. He's to not me. very memorable. There's the one dude that is like the <laughs> troll that injects himself with like the red. Uh, I think it's a power stone. I'm not even sure. And like turns into the super badass troll and almost, and like frees all the prisoners that are being held in Asgard. <laughs> yeah. And Loki is there like watching it happen Man. and smiling, you know, you know, again, I'm gonna tell you a fun fact about this. Loki wasn't supposed to even be in this movie, but people love Loki so much after the Avengers, they like rewrote this Thor script. He's and well worth it because Loki is some of the best scenes in this movie. He's a good looking, smooth talking son of a bitch. I mean, I would not say good looking. I would say interesting looking. He is gorgeous. Are you kidding me? I mean, I'm into it, but he's is not he gay? conventional. He's gay, right? No. Really? No, he's okay. British. Oh, it's not his fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I really like Thor the Dark World. Again, surprising. Thor the Dark World was a lot of really fun. Really liked it. Yeah, it was a ton of Better fun. Better than Iron Man 3. Next What's up, up next? was Captain America Winter oh, Soldier. So like probably like. It's my favorite the movie. The best yeah. of the lot. I still think this is my favorite Marvel movie. First off, the... Uh, First Russo Brothers movie. Yeah, for sure. And I also think, like, the action in this movie is top-notch. I mean, obviously, the elevator it's fight unreal. scene is, like, iconic. That yeah. scene is so good. But, like, the effects are actually really good because... You know, we had to deal with some Thor before this again, where the effects are better. Well, this one was way down to earth, too. Yeah. This and this one, one was a lot more just people punching each other yeah, and shooting each other. And this is, I really liked, I remember seeing this in the theater again, and I actually really liked Black Widow in this movie. And I was like, oh man, why didn't I like her She's really good like in this, because they yeah. start to say, like, you're the human, everybody trusts you, mm -hmm. you do the talking and stuff, even though she has a past right. and whatnot. And I like that this movie introduces us, of course, to the Falcon. Yeah. Because Anthony Mackie is wonderful. He And you can tell he is just so thrilled to yeah. be there, to be in the costume, doing mm -hmm. it. Like the actor loves yeah. what he's doing. And he's having the first scene with Cap meeting the Falcon where they're running around oh, the Oh, just fountain. running around the mall in and DC, like, yeah. Oh, on your left. Oh, yeah. kills me. Yeah, that's good. Well, that on your oh, left great. is a great callback, of course. But And then, of course, you get Bucky. Yep. And a little humanization of Bucky, like, saving Cap at the end, pulling him out of the water. And we get to see Cap, like, genuinely so believing in his friend so much mm -hmm. that he's willing to turn against his country, as far as they're concerned. Right. And, like, I love that. I love that Cap, they're showing that, like, yeah, he's, you know, all-American, he's a soldier, he'll do whatever it takes. But he mm -hmm. fundamentally believes that his friend is a good guy and he can yeah. save him and it's just yeah uh, and he can't let that go i mean that's like caps like so good his thing that's such his person. a great movie oh. yeah and we get old peggy carter of course and then we get stupid sharon carter you hated sharon carter oh i still hate her we yeah. watched what did we watch civil war last night it's a weird choice it's mm -hmm. a weird choice <laughs> i will say that mm -hmm. it's almost say on that so then we completely break and we go to <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy, which took place sometime in 2014, oh, yeah. begins with a flashback. I would argue I could watch the Guardians of the Galaxy over and over yeah. and over. It is pure joy. I, w I remember leaving the theater being like, yep, this is it. This it, is the one that sucked me in, like for sure. Like, I love Winter Soldier. 
and I liked the Captain America movie, but like Guardians was the first one where I walked out and I was like, I want to watch this again and go see it again. It is just pure the fun. The music is great. Everyone is so perfect. I mean, they're... Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. I, it's not even him, but like, I just... Bradley Cooper as the rocket you, that's and the thing. Dave Batista, they're all just so good. You're surrounded by these ridiculous aliens yeah. and these ridiculous costumes, and Chris Pratt is the everyman. He's still yeah. he's Andy. Andy Dwyer. He's still Andy <laughs> Dwyer. And he's yeah. like, he's our connection to these bizarre right. aliens. And we're just like, yep, that dude. Yeah. He's like, what if Indiana Jones was a doofus? Yeah. <laughs> I just remember like that <laughs> dance off scene at the very end and when he's yeah, I remember sitting in the theater and being like, well, this is a little cheesy. No, loved it. Dance off scene. Like, so great. I haven't, I realized I haven't watched this movie again since I saw it in the theater. Yeah, I will say though, some of the effects are kind of shit. I have watched Guardians 2 a couple times because mm-hmm. I've been trying to decide, like, is this a good movie? And we're going <laughs> to talk about that next. Yeah, because it's right after I had this one. not watched the first Guardians since it was in the theater, and I loved it. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of First Guardians. Like that ranks in the top five for me for sure. So our final movie for the first half of our rewatch. I mean, we've watched more, but yes. Guardians 2. Yeah, uh, this is a very controversial movie because I did not see it in the theater. Watched it at home with you. I made you watch it with me at home because I was trying to decide. Like I saw it in the theater. I hated it. And I liked it in the theater. And I but And the people kind of panned it. And I didn't totally know why. And I thought like maybe this isn't great. Maybe I need to watch <laughs> it again. It was not. We rewatched it again. You loved it. I didn't say I love it. I liked it. Um, first time I think I was super drunk when I watched it, so I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> exactly like that, making cat noises. Rewatching it again this time, um, it was good. I love it. That scene, Kurt Russell's his oh, performance, yeah, he was is fine. so great. And it's like See, I want Kurt Russell to be my. Dad. To me, it was all the <laughs> secondary stuff. The secondary stuff to me hit better than the Kurt Russell stuff. Like, I really loved the um, Yondu and Rocket scene where they're together and Groot has to get them oh. and stuff. Like, that. And I don't remember it for the first time because, again, I was probably fucking blacked out. Well, the whole Yondu so. storyline that they carried through with this where it's like, yeah, Yondu's a terrible guy. Right. And I mean, you kind of get the sense of the first galaxy. Why, but he yeah. did keep Peter Quill alive. And he did well, take care of him. he knew why. I mean, which was revealed in this movie, of course, because... Well, yeah, but at, at still, he could have killed him at any time or used him at any time, but he didn't. No, he was supposed to give him to Kurt Russell's character, and Kurt right. Russell's character kept killing all these people. So he's like, I'm not going to let this kid die again. Yeah, and like and there, there was like this innate sweetness to him, and there's the funeral in the end and everything where all the Ravagers show up and the fireworks are going mm-hmm. off. Like, it was legitimately sweet. No, it's a good sweet. movie. It was, it was better than I thought. <laughs> I thought, well, the first one was a lot of fun. This one brought out a lot of the sweetness behind the gang that we hadn't necessarily seen because of all the slapstick stuff and yeah there's still good slapstick stuff that whole uh, there is that whole battery scene where they're fighting and did you ask nebula for the batteries did you bring the battery Uh, that's a great and the whole like drax and mantis stuff where he's like you are so ugly yeah (laughs) it was good it was i i did enjoy it yeah Um, yeah i i love this i would not rank it in my top probably 10 because we have like 23 movies, but um, yeah. Well, we it, got a whole second half to go. Truth. And the good news is this quarantine may last until next fall. <laughs> so we're going to Hey, we're gonna technically we're already three in on the next half, so. That's true. We're kind of kicking butt. We're going to have to revisit those. Casey, thank you for joining us in the ziggurat. And, mm-hmm. uh, 
We seem to get better ratings every time you come on. Well, good luck, because I'm not drunk, so we'll see how well this goes over. (laughs) (laughs) Excelsior! for THN 571 and we'll have a fully drafted apology to Machine Man fans everywhere on next week's show. Don't add us, all right? I can't believe we didn't review a Machine Man comic. (laughs) I know, right? I didn't realize until afterwards. I was like, oh shit. Aaron Stack, that, was that... Barry Winter Smith that did the the uh, Machine Man 2020. Yeah, uh, he, it was. Yeah, I think it was the Machine Man miniseries in the 80s. Was Barry Winter Man, Smith. Man, I love that miniseries. <laughs> Joe Patrick, enough of this robot bullshit. Give these nerds a new question of the week. All right, our new question was submitted by Joe Benkis via the THN forums. He's casual comics guy. In case you're wondering, what's your favorite time a real life person appeared in one of your fictional comic books? Barack Obama on the cover of Spider-Man, Muhammad Ali punching the crap out of Superman. Who is your favorite actual flesh and blood personality who appeared in the pages of a comic book? Totes. That'll be fun. That'll be a good one. You may have noticed that we are posting other questions on our Facebook and Twitter as well. So call 402-819-4894 or shoot us an MP3 of your answers to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. You could be internet famous. Remember, please keep it short. Two and a half minutes or less. Share the air. Uh, and we will collate. Collate? Collate. Yeah. Co-o-late. Curate? Curate. I don't think collate's the right word. Uh, we'll collect them. We will collect. <laughs> we will collect all of your answers, both written and audio, in the new old answer of the week feature on TwoHeadedNerd.com. It lives again on YouTube. It's going to be fun, but we need you jerks to call us and send us your answers, okay? Now, if you're new to the show and you'd rather spend an hour slogging through the Now Comics Terminators issues one through eight, trust me, they're terrible, then listen to another second. I assure you, it is only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at twitternerd.com. Hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. So we want to thank donors like Anthony Circo. Thank you, Anthony. Without you, we don't have the money for these super sexy cocktails that Justin whips up for us. And I'll tell you what, we are angry drunks. So, <laughs> Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to JD Gotta Catch, Jimmy Randall, and Mark Tarrington for submitting calls for our return to the answer of the week. Word to you guys, and please, as we said just seconds ago, Send your MP3 or voicemail answers to the questions of the week because we have nothing to share without you. And God knows we don't want to have to do the work. No. (laughs) Until next time. True believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just open up real early and make you violently ill. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. (laughs) 